Blog Talk Radio. This is Ron Carter, Chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago, inviting you to our 16th Black Wall Street Economic Summit Saturday, July 9th from 8.30 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. at the Prince Hall Masonic Temple at 809 East 42nd Place in Chicago. All eyes on the district as we address parity on contracts. RSVP by calling in 312-624-8351. Thank you. Register today for the 2011 Black Wall Street USA National Convention and have a chance to win a seven-day Caribbean cruise, including airfare and accommodations. Trip arranged by a travelmoment.com. Representatives from 27 Black Wall Street districts from around the nation will convene on Gary, Indiana from October 21st to the 23rd at the Genesis Convention Center. This year's theme is Make Me a World. To have a chance to win the seven-day Caribbean cruise, you must register online at blackwallstreetdistrict.com. That's blackwallstreetdistrict.com. Hey, churches, church groups, auxiliaries, pastors, we want to hear from you. If you and your ministry have got what it takes to be contestants on the new Christian game show, just say the word. Here's what we want you to do. Check out www.masterstylemedia.com forward slash gospel TV. This is where you can find details and information about this hot new Christian game show that's going to help unite the body of Christ by seeing what you know about the word and challenging you to learn more. We're calling on everybody, ushers, the mother's board, deacons, servants. We want to hear from you. Again, www.masterstylemedia.com forward slash gospel TV. If you and your church have got what it takes to be contestants on Just Say the Word, we want to hear from you. Come on and check us out. God bless.
white man, woman, still it affects you. Violence ain't racist, death come in their faces, complacent. Till it hits home, that's when you taste it. And all of these murders and numbers unheard of, for reasons unheard of, account for a third of crimes just committed. You hear, but do you feel it now? Me and my people saying stronger till they get it. Tell the streets to put the thumbs down. Let's build a foundation here on common ground. And know that we won't stop until that peace is found. Can you hear that sound? If media don't play this, it ain't part of the problem. It takes people in all positions to get together and solve it. One city, one state, one nation, one voice. And the victory is ours if you can make one choice. Why can't we live here in peace? That peace is what we need. Why don't we? to Black Wall Street USA for Thursday, June 30th, 2011. We're broadcasting from the office of the South Street Journal over here at 445 East 35th Street in Chicago. Black Wall Street Chicago wants to send out its thanks to those who attended the reception for Summit 16 this past Friday. We appreciate your support. I'm Sonia Cassandra Perdue, founder of Chicago's Black Business Network and author of Black America, Asking Ourselves the Tough Questions, Book 1, 2010, available on Amazon.com, and your co-host for this evening's show. Our host, Mr. Ron Carter, chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago and the publisher of the South Street Journal, will be with us in a few minutes. Our call-in number is 347-326-9477, The chat room is open. Leave your company information and website links in the chat room. That's how we connect. Press the number one if you'd like to speak to our host, one of our guests, or you have a question or a comment. First, I'm going to share a message from the Black Wall Street Chicago Committee and Board and the Chairman, and then we'll bring Ron Carter on. Black Wall Street, Black Wall Street District Chicago welcomes you business owners, and business-minded persons to Summit 16, which is July 9th. That's next Saturday, people, not this Saturday, over at Prince Masonic Temple. 
All Eyes on the District, as Black Wall Street Chicago focuses on 12 districts in Chicagoland. There may be more now. The Summit 16 is spirited with the first summit of May 19, 2007, as it was also held at Prince Hall Masonic Temple. We're grateful to them for their support. Staying true to its mission from Summit 1, Black Wall Street Chicago celebrates one of its major accomplishments with the historic passing of Illinois State Senate Resolution SRO 432, recognizing East 75th Street as a Black Wall Street district. If you visit www.blackwallstreetdistrict.com, you'll see the resolution there. Following that, the Illinois State House passed House Resolution H.R. 1257, recognizing the Stony Island area of Chicago as another Black Wall Street district. Black Wall Street Chicago stands proud in the passing of these resolutions as it recognizes the spirit of Oakland, California, as the national headquarters of the Black Wall Street districts across the country, in tribute to the memory of Black Wall Street Tulsa and the survivors of the race riots of 1921 in Oklahoma. There are Black Wall Street districts in Atlanta, Durham, Minneapolis, Oakland, San Diego, and Seattle. According to Ben Johnson, Black Wall Street District USA National Administrator, there are plans for expansion in the following cities, Houston, Portland, Jackson Ward and Richmond, Virginia, Detroit, Miami, West Seattle, and Philadelphia, and another 26 cities interested in the wings. Commenting on the National Convention and Summit, Michael Carter, Jr., Michael Carter Sr., National President and Chairman for Oakland-based Black Wall Street District USA, says, we are delighted and encouraged by the recent historical developments coming out of the Chicago chapter districts. Carter Sr. said, our collective efforts are not about us, but about those we have never met, our fathers and mothers who paved the pathway for us. This is about future generations, the future beneficiaries of our labor, and about those we will never meet. In the four years of operation, Black Wall Street Chicago has successfully executed 14, 15 economic summits with over 50 resolutions voted on in its four years. One of the biggest agenda items addressed has been what Chicago communities will look like in the year 2040. Black Wall Street Chicago is concerned with the Chicago metropolitan area for planning on the shaping of the city plan for the year 2040. Initially, when the hearings were held in June of 2009, there was no representation from the black community, and it remained so until Black Wall Street Chicago raised the concerns. The plan was submitted to the City Council in October 2010. You listen to Black Wall Street USA. Let's bring the chairman to the show. Ron Carter, welcome yeah. to the show. How are you this evening? I'm doing pretty fair. How about yourself? Doing great, doing great. Well, that's, it. that's a whole mouthful right there, isn't it, Ron? Oh, yeah. So definitely uh, laid the foundation of where we come from and where we're going and uh, all some of the some of the major details of how we got to where we are from the 
Chicago, Black Wall Street, and even as the national spread its wings across this country, that we're definitely sending a message uh, that Black Wall Street districts are not necessarily should be a way of life, but it's always uh, it's also a need in which how we need to address the economics. Um, I can uh, say that I went to a uh, in Cobra convention this past Saturday, and as I listened and I talked um, to other people about reparations, uh, the main focus that in order to really have reparations to stand solid is that we secure these black Wall Street districts throughout the uh, United States because if we do not, then those checks was going to be circulated right back to where they came from if we don't have a foundation in place. So it's very important, this mission of Black Wall Street, as it moves forward in sustaining and increasing black businesses. Absolutely. So, the, uh, so yeah, well, I think sometimes people say we're winding down. We're winding up. <laughs> And as we wind up, uh, the issues get just as intense. Uh, the agenda gets just uh, just as long, and the uh, the commitment is even more stronger than the agendas that we are bringing on the table. So yeah, we're winding up for our 16th summit coming up uh, next weekend, July 9th. Uh, this year is more like a we supposedly had a summit in May, but as things develop, we're having it next weekend. So it's going to be pretty packed. It's, pretty, it's going to be pretty intense. Uh, one good thing about this here summit, which we uh, have been waiting for for such a long time, is the representation of our youth. And the youth are rolling up their sleeves, and they're winding up as well, to be well represented on a black agenda targeting 2040 and everything that must be uh, in place so that, that they can have parity in the economic prosperity of this country, of their community, and set an example as other youth to follow them in which they call themselves youth empowerment through entrepreneurship and they came up that name they came up with the spirit and we're very proud of them moving forward and as you may know Sonia we're going to be having um, a big troop of them coming through South Street Journal Black Wall Street office in the next few (laughs) days next week so are you ready to deal with the youth in your face (laughs) <laughs> That's what I heard. Um, no comment. <laughs> All right. Bless their hearts and bless our vice chair. Bless your hearts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's bringing them on. She's bringing them on. You know, that wasn't her uh, set out mission to get involved, but because of what she do with her oversight committee and following the money, so it's not just following the the, the accountability of government spending, but it's also targeting some of those resources to Black Wall Street, in which she's an instrumental in setting that foundation. So we're very grateful for her 
steady focus in her oversight committee that is also expanding into other accountabilities of Black Wall Street. Well, she may not have been planning to get as involved, but she's involved now, isn't she? Most yeah. of you should have gotten that. <laughs> Most of us, <laughs> the, the, the farther you try to go the way, the deeper you get, don't you, Miss Yeah, Calvin? they just uh, called in too deep. <laughs> is that what it's called? Yeah, it's in called too in too deep. And uh, but uh, but this it's all good. People do it for a particular reason and that of their own. You listen That's to Black right. Wall Street USA. Our caller number is three four seven three two six nine four seven seven. Uh, most of you got a message from our vice chair uh, as we reached out to thank each of you for being with us on Friday at the reception and for your support. If you're not on our email list and you'd like to get our communications. Give me a call, 312-239-8835, and we'll add you to our email list. My direct number is 312-239-8835. We'll be happy to add you to our email list. We've asked our national president to call in tonight. If he isn't on the line in a little while, we're going to go right to our vice chair after break. Ron, why don't you give our callers uh, a brief update of what went on at the reception last Friday. For those of you who were not here. Well, uh, it took a different spin. You know, our receptions are normally a a time of relaxation and networking and getting to know each other in a nice, quiet jazzy type of atmosphere with the lights down low and the music in the background and people just uh, moving along with the, 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 the spirit of the groove of just getting to know each other. But this here particular summit turned into a, a summit itself to a great extent. Our receptions are normally kind of clearing out about 11 o'clock, something like that, 10, 30, 11 o'clock, we kind of smooth on out. But this time, I don't think we left here until about 1.30 that morning. And the focus was on resolutions. We had the Princess of uh, Zimbabwe uh, with us, uh, and we had um, Frank Lawrence that made a presentation on the energy. We had Doc Walls there. And so... What we did was not only heard from them, but we had some debate. You know, we debated uh, about some things as it relates to uh, multi-level marketing, how it can affect and benefit Black Wall Street with some debates on there. And so we actually passed resolutions after the debate, similar to what we do at a summit. And so we uh, passed them and we're going to present them at this upcoming summit. The um, the princess was here. She was definitely in her gracefulness of being a princess. She definitely made the connection and the plead, and which I've heard many times from our brothers and sisters from Africa, to make that connection of economic development. Uh, and really taking advantage of it because uh, what I understand is that as the United States mainly did is importing of uh, products from Korea, China, uh, and it used to be Japan, is that 
the switch is going to be looking at Africa, and sadly to say, it's because the labor, uh, the dollar worth is lower, so businesses can uh, be able to have a, a bigger piece of the profit by doing business with Africa. I'm kind of surprised why that haven't always been the case, because it seems as though Africa is closer to the United States than China, so why did they jump all the way to China when Africa is closer as far as having low manufacturing of products, low cost of manufacturing of products? So it's the time now is to look at Africa. Uh, we do know that uh, our first lady, Miss um, Obama, was definitely in South Africa uh, making those uh, relationships with Africa. So we have to look uh, really global, not just as far as the Internet is concerned, but actually touching the hands of our brothers and sisters of Africa. And that's exactly what happened at our reception last uh, Friday. So feeling good. We still have some wine. We still have some there, so we still was relaxed, but we took care of business, and that was a really a turn in the way we normally have our receptions, and it's given an indication of what this next uh, summit next week in is going to be about as well. So um, the as I indicated, we're winding up opposed to winding down. And that's really what these summits do for us, wind us up. And then after the summit, we get wind up some more. Uh, so it's really no ceiling based on how we need to meet the parity of economic development in all levels of uh, business, from our mom pas to our global reach of Africa and doing business. Yeah, so it was good. Did you enjoy yourself? Absolutely, absolutely. You listen to Black Wall Street USA, and yes, it did go to midnight at 1 o'clock. Never seen that before. You listen to Black Wall Street USA with host Ron Carter, chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago. I'm co-host for this segment, Sonia Cassandra Purdue. What we're going to do, we're going to go to a break, chairman, and uh, and then we're going to come back with our vice chair so she can give us an update on the government oversight committee, and then... Uh, after that, what we'll do is we'll talk about what's coming up with Summit 16. I'll call in numbers three four. Very good. I'll call in numbers three four seven three two six nine four seven seven three four seven three two six nine four seven seven. We're off to the races. Join Grand Families of Chicago on July 24th at the Balmoral Park Racetrack. Enjoy elegant dining room seating, great views, a lavish buffet, parking, networking, and more. Reserve your seat by July 18th. Call 1-888-472-6303. Your donation for this July 24th fundraising event at the Balmoral Park Racetrack will support Grand Families Program of Chicago's back-to-school campaign. Reserve your seat today. Call 1-888-472-6303. Listen up. Listen up.
Revolution is coming to Chicago Thursday, September the 29th. The ultimate beauty, fashion, and glamour experience set against the backdrop of the magnificent Chicago skyline and Lake Michigan on the Lake Butte Terrace at Navy Pier. Our team of stylists, designers, and photographers from Houston, Los Angeles, and Chicago will navigate your glamorous evolution. The event will stream live, reaching a global audience. This is a once-in-a-lifetime experience that you do not want to miss. For more information, visit EvolutionChicago.info. This is Ron Carter, Chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago, inviting you to our 16th Black Wall Street Economic Summit Saturday, July 9th from 8.30 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. at the Prince Hall Masonic Temple at 809 East 42nd Place in Chicago. All eyes on the district as we address parity on contracts. RSVP by calling in 312-624-8351. Thank you. You're listening to Black Wall Street USA on Blog Talk Radio. Our host is Ron Carter, chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago, publisher of the South Street Journal. I'm Sonia Cassandra Purdue, founder of Chicago's Black Business Network, and your co-host for this segment. Our call-in number is 347-326-9477. Our calling number is 347-326-9477. Let's welcome the chairman back on the air. And would you introduce the uh, vice chair of Black Wall Street, and we'll bring you on. Well, in introducing the vice chair, uh, she might not like this. (laughs) However, uh, I first heard her call in the office, and she was, wanted to give some validation of Black Wall Street before she come to this summit. She wants to know and want to make sure that this is an action-orientated organization, and she don't want to be coming to no meeting where people are boo-hooing and crying about the issues opposed to stepping up to the plate. So I will let her finish that part. But since that time, she has definitely been a a backbone and a focus for the organization, a a mender of different operations, a business person herself uh, with her financial services that has been sucked into this movement of Black Wall Street. And with that, she's been instrumental in one particular Uh, agenda, which is the government oversight that has been overlooked by so many in the city of Chicago, but she's also been instrumental in the administrative affairs and keeping the internal structure of uh, Black Wall Street intact. So but it's my uh, pleasure and honor, uh, and I'm not for sure what I will be able to do without having her as vice chair of Black Wall Street Chicago, Miss Cheryl Calvin. How you doing, Miss Vice Chair? I'm doing well. How are you guys this evening? We are fine. So welcome to the um, <laughs> show. You haven't been here for a while. Have you been listening? I have not been catching the show. I have another job, you know, when I get home, and that has sucked up most of my evening. So I have been missing the show because I've been 
dealing with my five wonderful boys and my husband. Well, congratulations on your army. <laughs> well, let's. Uh, I did make that remark um, that I did not finish based on our first uh, acquaintance, and uh, even though I kind of say it every now and then. I want you to say it and to if you can kind of repeat my earlier remarks and how do you feel based on your involvement and in when you first became a part of Black Wall Street to where you are now? Um I you know what Don't forget my first I part I talked about. I talked uh, you talked about the first part you talked about was what I had stated that I was hoping the uh Yes. Summit. The first summit that I came to would not be, which was the second summit of the Black Wall Street. And um actually weren't even called the Black Wall Street Chicago. We were calling ourselves something else back then. We had switched our name after I had became a part of the organization. I remember yeah, uh, we we recommended that we Black call Wall it. Street Economic Something. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But uh nonetheless, um I uh did come anticipating you know, a bunch of complaining and no answers and things of that nature. And you know what, just uh, for the sake of the audience, I think that it would be um, very interesting if we had people call in and ask what happened next or find out what happened next at the summit themselves, come to the summit and find out what happened next. But I'm not getting ready to repeat that again. <laughs> I'm not getting ready to go back through what happened. I'll be willing to let you share it at our summit. How about that? Aren't you a trip? Uh-huh. But anyway, uh, subsequent, since, since, that, since then, uh, we had, obviously, you know, we had all the, the subsequent summits, and uh, we found that there was a great need to find out what was on the minds of the, and the hearts of the people. Um, you know, it, it said that out of the heart, the abundance of the, the uh, out of the mouth, the, uh, speaks the abundance of the heart. And people began to share what their true issues were in business, and it was not just a financial issue. It, there were a lot of issues that came out of the uh, uh, the concerns that business owners had in uh, doing business in the African-American community or doing business, period, as uh, blacks. And so those summits allowed us to recognize that not only were people uh, having concerns that they were willing to share because uh, these are these these are desperate times, and they're talking about what their concerns are. They were legitimate issues that were causing economic deprivation in our community um, and causing uh, disparities in such a way that we all are impacted, be it residents, youth, crime. Um, everybody was being affected by the disparity of economics uh, in uh, stabilizing our business base in our communities. Do and you so, think that the community <laughs> makes that connection? I, I hear what you're saying. I understand. But why do you think that there is a misconnection among the general black community of a collective economic agenda? You know, well, going back to, to one of the things we talked about um, one other time I was on the show, we talked about how the Koreans had their plans and how we noticed that um, other nationalities are teaching their children to reinvest in their community and to support their community. And I think 
not much different than it was when uh, the pilgrims came here and dealing with the Indians and how well they got along at one point, and then the next generation began to create the degradation of those relationships and so or breakdown of those relationships. And so it, w- it was not necessarily started out that way, although we know the history and we know how Europeans do things and, and historically have done things, um, but that wasn't the way it started. It started off with close relationships. And I think that in our community, somehow, I believe we've had a generation and a half that has forgotten to leave a history of legacy to our fa- our children and make sure that they understand how our uh, communities got stabilized in the first place. So they didn't pass the torch neither passing down businesses or neither did they teach them how to be business owners, nor did they teach them how to reinvest in their in their community and to uh, patronize the businesses that would stabilize our community. So we, we have some self-love issues, I think, that comes from both us not doing it historically uh, for generations and generations and also um, us being way too colonized by a European way of thinking that is going to always suppress. Well, don't we suppose to think, uh, I don't know if this is proper, but don't we suppose to kind of think European because the United States is basically European, even though it's said that the United States is a melting pot, but its foundation is based on European frame of thinking. So should we not be thinking European? Should we not become... uh, the capitalists in the you know, thinking like European. I think we've done or... it. I think we've done it so much that that concept has turned on itself. Um, I think that we have some of us, some of us in our own culture, have uh, recognized that there it is somewhat beneficial to be uh, an oppressor um, for the one that's doing the oppressing, but. In turning on itself, we're seeing the results of a community in disarray. And African Americans, we're not the kind to just lay down. I mean, we're fighters. I think we're fighters from the womb to the tomb. And so we're not going to continue to allow you to oppress us. And I think that's where history continues to repeat itself when you see, we, you know, even if we seem like we have high crime rights and black rights and black on black crime. We're not going to continue to cause suffrage to ourselves. It's going to bleed over into other communities eventually. And I think that's what we're seeing happening, even when you talked about the other day, you were talking to me about the uh, flash mobs. I mean, we're finding that our community is at the point where we're just saying we're not going to take it anymore. But we've got to give our children direction from the time they're able to speak through through all of their uh, uh, primary education years, all the way through high school and all the way through college. And uh, other nationalities, even, and I'll get into this when I talk about the program, one of the programs I follow, they're recognizing they don't ask their kids necessarily just what do you want to be. I literally heard a bunch of businessmen at the table talking about we have to uh, – Find out how do we get people to tell their children when they go to college, you can't just do what you want to do. You have to do what you're going to do on the concept of you're going to start a business that's going to make money based on where this country is going, or you're going to go to college and get the education that you need based on where this country is going. And they're talking 40 years from now. So they're planning this, and we have to do that with our children. We have to be telling our children what 
what to expect. And I think we, Black Wall Street, has had the benefit and opportunity to tap into what's going to be coming down the pike so that we can be better prepared. So we're not making plans off of what somebody else planned, but we're part of the planning. Well, as you, I definitely want to get into this <coughs> government oversight uh, initiative and committee that you're heading. Uh, but do you see, uh, if I can use the example of Chinatown here in Chicago, in which there's Chinatowns in just about every major city in the city of Chicago, I mean, in the United States, there's a Chinatown, Greek town. And a lot of times those uh, uh, Asian people do not have elected officials, but their foundation of economic stability is strong. So how do we counter our economic stability, similar to Chinatown, Greektown, Koreantown, um, as, uh, I guess, as separate or not dependent upon government influence? Or is government influence just as much a part of Chinatown, Greektown, and uh, Little Village as well? I don't think government influence has to be. I think because we are in this country and we pay taxes, we should have access to what we pay taxes into. The original purpose of taxes was so that all could receive from an equal share. So if you're putting in, you should be receiving from it. You should be getting something from it and not what somebody says should be impacting. You should be in direct receivership of the tax dollars that you pay as a taxpayer. But if I but do if we you, put if too much if, emphasis, do but black if you indulge people put me for too much emphasis? If you allow me, if you just indulge me for a minute, mm -hmm. if you look at the most thriving communities in the city of Chicago, um, the first area you would think of would be where? The Loop. The most thriving or, or the Magnificent the loop Mile. Of the Magnificent Mile, right. But what would be second? What would be the second most thriving community that you can think of? And as far as what business or community stability? As far as, as, as the community reinvesting in the community and community stabilization. Oh, I'll, I cannot say after statistically. Statistically, after Magnificent Mile, it's 26th Street. It's a Hispanic community where Hispanics okay. dollars circulate within their own community. Don't look good. Don't look great. But every, mostly every need that they have is on 26th Street. They buy from each other. They reinvest in their own community. And those businesses no. stay there and intended to be to stay there for many, many years. They're, they're considered a thriving community. And they're not dependent upon government support. So it's an easy model to duplicate. It's just a matter. Now, theirs are probably happening that way for them out of necessity because they have a lot of immigrants that are not legal. They're going to be all over the city. They're going to try to stay in a little area where they can just fit in. But we have to recognize that that's what stabilizes that base. That's when any time you want to get some Mexican, you know where to go, 18th Street, 26th Street, you know where to go. So well, that's what we there a big in our difference then? Yeah, but that is, you know, and I sometimes don't like going back to there, but is do you think that the big difference, uh, taking consideration Black Wall Street, Tulsa, Oklahoma, of what happened there, and there were some other examples of Black Wall Street districts, even here in Chicago in the 1930s, uh, that was considered a Black Wall Street district along State Street. 
do the handicap or is there still a, an excuse of the handicap of slavery compared to other ethnic groups, even to the point, as I stated earlier in the show, when we I went to this uh, reparations convention, and are we still in the necessity to ask for reparations, or are we still handicapped from slavery compared to others uh, when it comes to economic uh, stability within our own community? Well, I think we still, I mean, I, do I think that the Willie Lynch uh, letter and theory is still alive today and it works for 300 years? I absolutely do. And I think that we have a lot of very well-meaning, educated, articulate black people that still fall into the Willie Lynch theory of life for African Americans. I do believe that there is a slave mentality. And to call them Uncle Tom's, believe it or not, I don't necessarily believe they're the ones that's in the house. I think they're the ones that's in the field. Um, and I think that they that those type of, uh, that mentality that they've, they put on us so many years ago, and you often say to me, let's put the blame where the blame lies. Um, I think the blame does lie in the intentions of what would happen to the to the uh, African-American Negro. But I also believe that the way out is depending upon us. So I do believe that and in, in regards to um, the um, us getting our due share of what was due us, I think that if the government made a commitment to what we were supposed to get, then we should be getting it because you're talking about the DREAM Act where I get to use my tax dollars to pay for a foreign, somebody from another country, to come here and be educated in college. And it's barely an opportunity for our children to get a decent education to be able to go to college. We're taking tax dollars and opening up schools for people who may be immigrants. There are those mm-hmm. who are legitimate. Don't get me wrong. So my Hispanic brothers and sisters that listen, don't get me wrong. But then there are some that are not. And, you know, let's call a spade a spade. So I, I, I think we are entitled to what we should be receiving. Um, but, of course, we cannot sit back and live our lives waiting on somebody to give us something. I think government oversight is important. But I can't live my life waiting on government oversight. We've got to find a way to spark our community to reinvest in their own community. So that, that, that's the only way we're going to stabilize anything going forward. So, well, naturally, even with uh, Black Wall Street, when we uh, first got started, and I believe that you took on a lead also in um, addressing the relationship with this uh, Chicago's metropolitan area agencies, which is government funded by, uh, which is funded by the federal government and where they're taking the lead in um, what Chicago will look like in the 2040. So 80% of their operating budget in planning the future for Chicago comes from the federal government. Is that a part, or how does your initiative of government oversight even look at other agencies? Are you looking at other agencies or are you looking at government agencies or are you looking at legislators? What does this government oversight really mean? 
Well, government oversight from the perspective of Black Wall Street was burst out of a need. It was that we were having way too many summits where we had all these grassroots people coming in that were, I call them bloody knees, getting their knees bloody to work in the community and be effective in their community just so that we can continue to thrive and survive. And they were not getting the support that they needed to be able to do it, yet the money was supposedly being legislated to come into our community. We should not have bloody knees. We, if we have bloody knees, it should be by choice, not because we have to. But I just found there was there were too many people struggling, um, and I couldn't find pe- organizations that were and businesses that were receiving these funds. And if we represent 800 businesses and organizations, and you have at least 90% of them saying, I have never received a thin dime to do the work that I'm doing in my community. And we have, for instance, in Washington Park, 75% of the youth unemployed. But you're telling me that money came down to train these youth to get jobs that they never got, and you're spending billions of dollars on those programs, then it became clear that we needed to, uh, as Obi Wardlaw coined the phrase, and it is trademarked, follow the money from A to Z. We need to follow the money from the legislative body that passes it for funding in the first place, be it, be it understood that passing legislation does not mean the money is attached to it. So they can say, we're going to give you $6 million for this kind of program, but if the governor doesn't release those funds, and they can be federal dollars, they can be from the sale of bonds, they can be from state money, it doesn't matter where it comes from, if they don't re- receive those bu- release those bonds, funds from, say, the state of Illinois into that legislation, then it's not worth the paper it's written on. So, one, we have to get past our legislators telling us that, this, that they passed this great legislation and we come to find out, but you didn't put no money attached to it. Then we have to get past where is that money going. So it goes to the state agency, and from the state agency and their grant guidelines and processes, it comes to the, the supposed community. And we start finding it's, it's not coming to our community, and we start finding where the money is going. So it is getting legislated, it is getting funded, but it ain't coming to us. Well, is there uh, is this something government oversight? Is this something new as it relates to? Uh, oh, excuse me. Is this something new related to Chicago? Where is there a similar effort just going on that is similar to the initiative that you're doing as it relates to government oversight? Uh, you. Is it something, you know what, what I found, because I I started with the uh, state of Illinois, and that's because that's where the largest pool of money is filtered through to um, other government agencies at different levels of government. Um, so they're coming from the federal government to the state, and the state is responsible for uh, that accountability of those funds. Most money goes through them. They go through other government agencies, but most for the state of Illinois go through DCEO, Department of Commerce and Economic Opportunities. And I used to call before um, Black Wall Street and even at the early stages of Black Wall Street and ask about funding, and they would tell me there is none. Or because you're in Cook County and um, Mayor Daly is your mayor, we don't have funds for city of Chicago. But I started finding about organizations, and some of them African-American organizations, that were receiving money through the state. <laughs> so I'm saying, how can I keep calling you, asking you about money through the state, and you keep telling me you have none, there is none, they don't exist. And so what uh, What? What we began to do is go, I began, 
first of all, I started just haphazardly saying, okay, when the next board meeting? I want to know. I go to the board meetings and find out exactly where the money was and be the only one sitting in the room. Um, and so I would notice that the African-American business, businesses and organizations that were in receivership funds, they didn't sit in the room. They those I call usual suspects, and I hear other people use that terminology now. But they're the, I mean that's an old coin phrase. I'm just saying as it pertains to uh, uh, nonprofit organizations and for-profit organizations that are African American that consistently receive money on behalf of our community. It was the same organizations over and over and over again, and so what? I, and they didn't have to sit at the table because every time you look up, for some reason, I, white people think that they represent us. And for all intents and purposes, they should, but they were not. And so if they don't have the capacity to reach out to the demographics that Black Wall Street has said, you know, we're going to be a catch-all. We'll catch you when you fall. We'll catch you when you need to be lifted up. And we'll work with you at no matter what level of business you're at. You can be high up in business or just trying to get started, and we want to work with you. So when I started noticing that we weren't sitting at the table, Hispanics weren't sitting at the table either, by the way, um, they sit at other tables, and they have their own interests. So I just started recognizing nobody else is sitting in the room and nobody's representing the grassroots movement. For all the white people know, they curious and baffled as to why are you saying you're not getting any money and we keep giving y'all money. And I'm so telling you. how much money I, are you talking about? Or can, is there such a thing as putting a dollar amount that is have been actually missed out on Based on well, so far, from, from what I've experienced, now I've been doing this for just over a year when I actually started following money at, uh, at in this capacity, actually knowing exactly where the money is going, requesting annual reports, looking where each organization is sending in their annual report of what they did with the money. Now, I just really started doing that. I, I can, you can estimate from 2007 to... 2010, we've probably missed out on about uh, at least a hundred million dollars from 2007 to 2010. Are you speaking? And I would say of, of that hundred million, targeted the to, black, uh, these not, are targeted to black communities. This is money that's supposed to go to. They call them urban depressed. That's the cute little name that they're calling it. But the intentions of the legislation is made clear, and sometimes right within the grant guidelines. So not in the legislation. They won't say, okay, we're giving this money to blacks. They'll say underserved communities such as, and they might say African-American communities, Hispanic communities, or population of un- underemployed youth or something like that. They might say something like that. But so in this the actual is money grant- that is directly from the state. You're not counting money from the federal government not or money, money from the federal that- government. Or money that may be uh, from the county and the municipal government. Right, not counting money that came from the federal government to the state and then down to the county or down to the city, not even counting that money. I'm just talking about at least $100 million that I've been able to track and say, uh, how did we only get 10 to 12% of the money that a black legislator legislated for? and intended for the black community? How did his district not get money that he legislated? How come the digital divide money is going to everybody else when I know the representative Connie Howard is the one that sponsored the legislation? Why are we not getting money from the legislators that we put in office, although Hispanics 
when they do it, they get a much larger percentage of the money that's intended for their community. In fact, the digital divide money, if you looked at where that went, and that's to digital divide was to deal with the divide of us not having access to the Internet and not knowing how to use it and not having it in our homes. The majority of that money goes to the Hispanic community, but it was written by a black caucus member. So I started recognizing that somehow Hispanics are tracking their money and their legislators are making sure that they get that money or recognize when it's coming down, and they help each other get the money. When it came to our money, we didn't see that. Is this a case where... Uh, for one part, it can be another headache in the black community, uh, but there is a thing going on now that uh, I think I'll notice people may say that blacks are worse off today than they were 40 years ago. Does this apply based on the amount of money that was targeted and was not received in the black community, and is this enough, as Lou Palmer used to say, to to turn a Negro black? I, I think that what we have done is fought for laws with no uh, uh, plan of action. We fought for opportunities. When the Civil Rights Act of 1964 was passed, it created opportunities, but we had no plan of action as to how we were going to leverage those opportunities that were being created. So when you try to enforce them today, it's very hard to get people to take you seriously because we don't have a whole lot of follow-through. When you try to look at the legislation that's been passed with the funding that's intended for our community, and we complain about the fact that you gave all of the money that was supposed to go to the black community to non-black organizations and businesses, and we got not one thin dime of it. And I make that argument, it's not hard for whatever reason for black people to tell me to my face that we couldn't find not one qualified black organization to get this money because you don't have people fighting for those opportunities. We don't. We have to fight. We have to work together, and it cannot just be some grassroots organizations. We can't become so segregated that even though we may feel excluded, we still have to, I found, we still have to reach out to those African-American organizations that had not been working with us. We still do, may have to reach out to some white or Hispanic organizations that may be willing to recognize our population. We have to work with our residents. We have to work with our schools. This has to be a community effort to get these opportunities. So but we have got to push our whole, our whole community to be a part of but these our, things. But what you just, uh, <laughs> the, the scenario that you just kind of made a statement, uh, we somewhat have heard what we got to do many times. So what is the difference based on you laid out the issue, you laid out the the scenario of the issue, and then you just indicated the uh, what needs to be done well, but I think that you we heard it before. We have heard it before, and I'm glad that you are a newspaper man because you're challenging me what you already know. So the Black Wall Street, the Black Wall Street has this has created this unique opportunity where we say, although we may have some militant people, most people would prefer to be segregate, segregated. We also have created opportunity for anybody who has an interest in increasing, sustaining black business and stabilizing the black community to work with us. 
And so we had a unique opportunity because we decided we weren't going to wait for people to give us the answers and opportunities anymore. We create our own opportunities. And so what we've been doing is reaching out and creating initiatives that are demonstration of action, not just talking about it. We, so what does I, all this have to do with sustaining and increasing black businesses? Well, for instance, we um, we looked at uh, the group, which is a national organization, Local First, who is promoting to buy uh, within your local community, and they're doing it across the city. So they're talking about buying in the white community, buying in the Hispanic community, buying in the Chinese community, and you buying in the black community. So they're encouraging people who live in the community to buy from the community. So we said, okay, we'll partner with you on that united front to get our businesses ready for an influx of people to buy within their own community. And so they're working on campaigns to get you to do that. That happens to be a white organization that's doing that. Um, You went out and talked to Volunteers of America. They're putting in a project up in our community, and we we said, okay, well, this is a Black Wall Street district. How are you going to work with the Black Wall Street as you make your plans to put your project up in our community? So we have to uh, create our own uh, opportunities and initiatives that bring forth. So government oversight is nothing without a plan of action. So every yeah. I recognize that if I'm going to find out what's happening, then i got to find out how to bring those resources into my community, and then we got to be ready to move on them. So we've been spending now, this time talking about people moving on stuff. Mm-hmm. Now, there was some time, I know, that Black Wall Street, um, you know, with you involved and myself and a couple of other members of Black Wall Street, uh, that we met with the uh, the chair of the Illinois um, Congress, not Congress, caucus of, of Illinois, the chairman. Um, so, and do we put that on our elected officials in the Black Caucus of Illinois? I heard what you said that what we have to do, but isn't that why we elect our elected officials? that your role in government oversight is only because something that our elected officials have not done or our elected officials are not capable of implementing legislation that they uh, that they pass. So well, I, where, does I, I this, think... where does this responsibility lie with it? Does it really lie with you? Um, as uh, the chair of the government oversight, or does it really lie with the elected officials in the Black Caucus to oversight well, it, the government? The elected officials are not going to go back and make sure. I don't know that any of them are necessarily going back making sure that they their piece of legislation is going to the – they're not looking at the intricacies of that, but they are making sure that if there is a government oversight-type collaborative, they're funding those. Our uh, elected officials, I don't notice, if, as far as the Black Wall Street is concerned, I don't notice them uh, responding to making sure that we receive funding to keep this initiative going. My plan is to use the, resor- the, uh, the research that's being done with some demonstration to show that if we can infuse that money that's already legislated into the African-American community and provide oversight as to where the money is going, whereby we can report that back to our community, then we will show how we're all working together. So they are just 
like I said, everyone has an ownership piece in what's happening to money in our communities, and they have to take ownership for their role in that. They have to make sure that there is a governing body that is looking to see that what needs to be done is being done, and they cannot expect the government agency to hire somebody to do that. There is nobody on the inside that is going to do that because another thing that I've noticed is we do get some people on the inside to know how the things run and try to insist that these monies get to the black community. And when the gauntlet is laid on them, our legislators don't necessarily support those that are in place to support us. For instance, if you look at the um, employment employment um, legislation that was just passed, African-American employment legislation that was just passed, that was supposed to duplicate the Hispanic legislation, I know somebody mm-hmm. went to that meeting and we found out that the Hispanics, for them, the people that are on the committees were not appointed by the governor. They were employees of government agencies for the state of Illinois. When you look at ours and the people that are on the board that are making decisions for the black community, Governor Quinn appointed the people that's on that board. So it's easy for him to pick people that are going to make decisions that side with what he feels is right. But the first thing that the woman said who wrote up who she was responsible for overseeing the Hispanic plan for the state of Illinois and she was there talking to the African-Americans about their plan, and she said, y'all got a problem. He appointed the people on this board, and most of you are not government employees, so you have no idea what the real issues are. You got a problem. So we can't just, we have to have, don't showboat, stay in your own lane. But we have got to stop looking for opportunity to have broad shoulders and start looking for opportunity to make a difference for our community as a whole, and that will in itself, reinvest in our community and stabilize you and your base. But you can't do that if you're looking out for yourself all the time. And we allow him to do that. So you're going to get the same results that we've been getting. That's how I can see black people make a decision to give our money to all non-black people because the governor picked you. So you're going to do what he, what you feel is going to please him. This is a whole, I don't know what is going on and why that's okay, but that's not the way things go in other communities. So we're looking at a a, a, a hmm, what's the term a, a a big pile of stuff, which is in the middle of this big pile of stuff is money that can be used to help and was targeted to help uh, build an economic base of the black community, but is mm-hmm. stuck in this. The, the, in the middle of this big glob of mess. Now, it's almost when we look at the uh, the Illinois State Lottery where we understood what the good intentions was it, and to the point that as blacks play the lottery, subconsciously know what the purpose of the lottery is supposed to do for their schools, yet year after year there is complaints about the schools, but yet the black community continues to pay the lottery. So are we somewhat in that same scenario where we are in the absence of playing the lottery, we just pay our taxes and blind to the fact of how our taxes supposed to benefit us uh, but we continue to pay the taxes 
like we continue, similar to like we continue to play the lottery uh, for our own individual um, progress opposed to the good of all, which the lottery is supposed to be. So how do we reach the general public in this government oversight, or is it too technical, or could it be broken down? Um, and then if I can... <laughs> Talk myself until you are questioned that maybe you need to do the headline in the next issue of South Street Journal, a hundred million dollars lost <laughs> um, that was targeted to the black community. Now I think I think we uh, you don't want to uh, as, as, as much as we have talked about the realities and fine tuning of what people believe already. I don't have to tell black people that they're not getting money in their community. That that I, I, I think doom and gloom is. Um, I don't need to confirm the disparity in our community. We li- we live it. Um, what we need to be able to do is to provide answers. And I think the answer to, like I said, this government oversight is the ability to be infectious in the grant guidelines and the processes that are created. And the answer to that is to be able to show up in the room and for the um, government agency to take our uh, presence serious would be to be able to galvanize um, support around the work that we're doing. Uh, this is this, obviously we don't get a lot of funds coming in to support this work. Uh, we don't have a lot of businesses bringing in dollars to support the work that we're doing for the Black Wall Street. But everything that we do, we do in the name of our community as a whole. Because don't get it twisted. I have had opportunities to give funding opportunities just for the Black Wall Street, which was pretty much hush money. And I had to explain, almost holler, wait a minute, we do need money for the Black Wall Street to do the work that we're doing, but we need money for our whole community. We don't want a sliver of pie to keep us aligned with what you want us to do. We want the pie that was in, that we're entitled to. We want it for everybody. And so when you make those type of sacrifices, if you, if you don't give out your pocket, the least you could do is give out your support. And your voice is heard when you come to those summits because you have an opportunity to bring what you feel is needful in your community to the table. We resolve as, and come together and have discussions, and we figure out what is the resolution to the problem. What do we need done? And that drives our initiatives. So we need people to come to the summits. We need people to be telling their kids to come to the summits, their children. And that's why the youth agenda is so important because the youth, we got youth right now that's saying we will do a sit-in with you, Ms. Calvin. We will go out with you and do a sit-in. And I'm saying, hold up, wait a minute, just just let's just wait a minute. Let's make sure the sit-in is necessary before we start doing sit-ins. They're talking about bringing the youth down and having a sit-in demanding what we are rightfully entitled to. So so those are uh, initiatives that we can very well go that route. But I'm just saying slow up because i got to find out what the process is so that we can make changes in the process. And that's effective. We've, we have a piece of legislation that I follow from August of last year to now. What we have been able to do is incite the legislator, Representative Connie Howard, to say, look, the state of Illinois has been holding on to this money for three years. The only thing that's come out of this money is administrative dollars. They paid their employees to run a program where they didn't give not one thin dollar to the black community. They held the money, and then the governor swept the money. Right now today, and I'm praying that this works out better than it did with the state of Illinois, because be mindful, the legislators don't have to give the money to BCEO to give to our community. 
they took it from DCEO and put it in the state treasurer office, um, our new treasurer's office, and I can't even think his name right now. It's not coming to me. But they took it and they put it in his office on behalf of uh, the black community. So now it's their role to get that money out to us. And so I, I pray that that's a better resolve, but it came from saying, what's happening? This money is not going anywhere. It's not coming to us. They can't figure out how to give it to us. Maybe he can do a better Rutherford. Maybe Treasurer Rutherford's office can do a better job of getting that money out to the community. But I'll be following it from him, too, to see if he claims he's going to try to get it out this year. So we'll see. I'll be able to report this year, by uh, hopefully by November, where that money went. So when we look at the also look at the uh, the government oversight um now for example my understanding that you have embarked in the uh some jobs uh for our youth that's coming from uh the state and my understanding is that this here is something which just kind of popped up is this Indeed, something I think it that up. W- it came uh, up June 20 June 25th and today was the last day, so this is an after. Um, we didn't even know about it in time for the show or to tell people, but it came on June 25th. I found out about it the other day, and then shortly after I had um, started looking into applying for it, everybody started telling me about how Otis Monroe had sent it out. So he did a great job at blasting it to everybody who told me they heard about it, heard about it from Otis. They couldn't hear about it from me fast enough because the day I found out about it, I was, I was so busy applying for it, I didn't even send it out to people, and I apologize for that. But Otis Monroe, I have to give him kudos because he took the time to make sure that he sent that information. Everybody is telling me that they got an email from Otis Monroe, so God bless him for that. But that uh, uh, employment program for the youth um, allows us to be able to pay the youth to do things that they enjoy doing. So it's for uh, recreation, athletics. Uh, uh, performing arts, and whatever things that they want to teach each other and other youth. Uh, this program allows them, but it creates jobs. And this, it doesn't say jobs for 600 youth to 500 youth to 5,000. Uh, when I called them, they said just send in the number of youth you think you can hire this year at $8.50 an hour for eight hours a day. That's guaranteed money as long as these youth show up. And so, and it's only for the youth. You don't get paid as an administrator, so it is a, a, an act of giving and a heart of giving to, to administer these programs and know that you won't get a thin down for doing. But we have youth that are part of the Black Wall Street, yes. so we do on our youth pay. And uh, I know people are getting applying for 140 people. We did 60 for the Black Wall Street. When I, uh, when it comes back, I will ask, can we increase that? Because we'd like to add on some organizations and all their hard work that they're doing. We'd like to be able to get their youth paid as well, who may not already have their 501c3. So we're going to be looking because our youth are going to be out there. And in fact, I'm looking at trying to get some sponsors now to get us get them T-shirts as their uniforms. So we uh, we're going to get the get the youth out there, and I'm praying that uh, we get selected. Uh, for this program so that we can get them paid and get them out there doing some things that's not on the street, but that's positive. I'm looking for uh, our youth to be leaders for the next 60 years, and you know, I don't care if they're 19 now, that means they'll be 79 in 60 years, and that's fine too because they need to be looking that far into their future. And that being said, um, i share with you guys also, if you, if you uh, would allow me to mention this, because I think it's very important, uh, the direction of jobs for the state of Illinois and the industries that they're looking to um, see the uh, state of Illinois go in 
in line with the uh, government, with the United States, period, with our nation. Um, They're looking at 20 industries, but for the state of Illinois, we're looking at nine industries. And I think it's worth uh, mentioning those industries if I I have time. Is that that okay? Sure. I think we lost our chairman. I think he got a phone call. He could have taken it. You listen to Black Wall Street USA. This is Cheryl Cavan. Uh, Senior Vice Chair of Black Wall Street. Sure, go ahead and make your comment, then I'll bring the uh, national president and Ron back on the line. Go ahead. Oh, awesome. Um, just to make sure that you guys are aware of the uh, future that they're looking at from kindergarten uh, through college and into the uh, job force. So these children that are kindergarten today, uh, for the next 20 years, they're going to be looking at, or 18 to 20 years, they're going to be looking at where they're going. And the uh, push for uh the industries that the state of Illinois is really pushing and providing a lot of funding for and um, uh, resources and education in are nine industries. Uh, One of them, they're called STEM programs of study. Uh, And uh, and this is going to be a STEM learning exchange. And the areas are agriculture, food, and natural resources. That's one. The the number two is energy. Uh, The next one, uh, number three, is manufacturing. Number four is information technology. Number five is architecture and construction. Number six is transportation and distribution and logistics. Number seven is research and development. Number eight is health. And number nine is financial uh, services. So I am right now trying to organize those uh, those groups that have those type of industries that they're working in right now to be looking at how they're going to start teaching the youth and having after-school programs and getting into the uh, schools that are interested uh, to bring these programs so that we can uh, be teach trainers of our own youth and also get our children ready for where the direction of this country is going. So is that is going to be happening throughout the whole state or is this a focus that's in the Chicago? Whole, that's the whole state of Illinois. Those are the focused uh, programs of study for the whole state where they Now is this here funding to actually see some um some development in those fields or is yeah, this here some doing, funding that the government say here's a bone? Oh no no no. This funding is ongoing funding that is um there's billions of dollars that will be coming to the state of Illinois to cover these programs. We just this is an opportunity to find out what's coming down before the grant guidelines are created, which is the importance of uh, that the WIA board meetings. They have them every quarter. The next one is in September in Springfield, um, and I am going to be trying to get to that meeting and hopefully bring some people with me. But um, that's the purpose of them meeting on these programs, and they have people on their board that actually were also not just state agencies but also private industry because they get money from private industry for these programs. So Microsoft was at the table and Walsh Construction was at the table. I keep mentioning because I remember them being there. Um, but there were a host of other private industries at that table uh, talking about how to get these children and existing uh, displaced workers. And a big thrust right now is uh, low-income individuals. So programs like the Black Wall Street um, would definitely fit into the type of um, organizations and programs that they want to uh, provide funding to. But this is – 
they actually are looking for the funding now. So right now they've got uh, $40 million that's already been uh, approved from the federal government. That's just one of many, many, many grants. They've been doing it for a while. This is not this is not anything new. It's uh it's new to us in regards to aggressively being a part of the planning. Um and right. that's what uh one of the things I'm working on. But I know we have the national chairman. I don't want to take up too much more of you guys time of the of yeah, the public well, you, time. Yeah, you you are on a roll, my dear vice uh, chair. Yeah. You're definitely there but at the same time it's a, a, a big picture, a big task and especially when we're looking at government oversight on such a large budget uh, with uh, the small operational staff that you have to, uh, to operate with when you're going uh, to monitor people that's getting paid $200,000 a year, and you got to keep a tab on them and not getting money to do it. So uh, uh, just really, uh, one more thing. One more thing to let you guys know. Recently, Illinois was selected by the Gates and Carnegie Foundation to join five state consortia to develop a shared learning infrastructure, and the amount of the investment is estimated at one hundred million dollars. Mm. So, I mean, these okay. are private investors that's giving big right. money to the state of Illinois for these programs, and that's not well, just Illinois. Other states are doing it too. Okay. Well, hold on with us. Uh, sure, I want you to stay on with us as we bring the uh, the national chair of uh, Black Wall Street USA on. Uh, how you doing, Mr. Reverend Michael Carter? Well, well good evening, everyone. Okay, good, good evening. evening. How's good it evening. over there in California? We got cloudy skies, and they are dark gray. What does it look like in California? <laughs> Well, for the first time in three days, we had sunny skies. It's been raining. It rained all day on Tuesday, and um, but we're grateful to see the sun again. Well, I don't know what happened. Maybe you all blew that with clouds this way because it is getting dark here, y'all. Oh, so how you doing? What's been happening with you? We haven't uh, talked to you in a while on uh, uh, Chicago's Black Business Network or Black Wall Street USA. Uh, how was it looking in Oakland, and how is it looking coming up to the national uh, conference that's going to be held in October? Well, uh, I, I've been, uh, I do, I have missed you. I, I really have. But uh, the good news is, is that uh, the, the overall national organization is growing uh, by leaps and bounds. I really don't know where to start, but but before I do, I just want to acknowledge. Uh, Sister Cheryl Calvin and her work in the government oversight and how important that is uh, because at some point as we build these these black districts and communities, there are contractors that live there uh, and they want to stay there. They want to recirculate their dollar in those communities. So uh, having someone keep their finger on the pulse of the money and where it's going with regards to contracting we have to meet in the middle. In other words, the contractors in the, na- the neighborhood must be ready to meet those opportunities that come, and that money can stay on 43rd Street, can stay on East 75th Street, and can stay in the Blackwall D- Street District there in Illinois. Um, the so is that the is case that, in uh, California? As I don't know for sure if you heard everything as uh, Cheryl was indicating, this government government oversight as it relates to the state of Illinois. But is that somewhat the same scenario as she indicated 
that the black community here in uh, Chicago, per se, has missed out on approximately about $100 million in the last uh, uh, three, uh, three or four years now. Uh, do you think that the same scenario relates to California as far as money earmarked to certain communities in the Oakland area that they just have not received? Well, now, but you see, the, the difference here in Oakland is that uh, you don't have a Cheryl Calvin-type spirit following the money, um, uh, with the exception of, of a few leaders here who who do, and then it becomes political as to who gets a piece of the, the pie. Um, out here, we're not even nowhere near the pie. Uh, uh, it's on the table, but we're not near it. And so uh, the reality is, is several years ago, we uh, put together functions that brought, uh, you know, those who over in municipalities responsible for billion-dollar budgets together with minority contractors. And we did it in a way where we did in a lunch setting where uh, they would come and meet the, you know, for example, the guy who leads the, the roads in, uh, here in California. We call it Caltrans. And uh, he has had, at the time, a $14 billion budget with a lot of that allocated towards minority businesses. Well, we, we put on luncheons, but the majority of the people that showed up were not people who looked like me. And if any of you have seen me before, you know I'm black. And so you had Hispanic and Asian and white female-owned businesses, disabled veterans who would show up to these luncheons. The African-American contractors out here felt, you know, it wasn't really important to rub elbows with somebody who can just – you know, wave his hand and give you a contract. And then the other issue was bonding. Uh, we have a lot of minority contractors out here uh, uh, who uh, don't meet the, meet the bonding process, uh, requirements to do uh, multi-million-dollar contracted jobs. So there are a number of things that, that we need to work on, and there's a lot of apathy, a lot of disconnect. Uh, but the purpose of Black Wall Street uh, USA is to bring us together in a spiritual way, by which we really won't have to rely on having someone go and follow the money. We will create that for ourselves. Um, so what is that, how is that leading up to the uh, the national uh, summit that's going to be in uh, Gary, Indiana? What could the, uh, uh, <clears throat> the United States actually see it to, to happen in order to uh, you know, as you indicated, as the uh, the districts are growing around the country, what will be the mandate or the marching orders or the direction uh, that you can foresee at the uh, national uh, uh, convention? That we go with with the the methods, the plans, the initiatives that work. Uh, we spent the last forty years guessing, playing this guessing game as to what will work in the community. And the first, very first step is the spirit of the individuals who take on these, these tasks. It's not an easy task. Uh, it's tedious. But the mandate for the National Convention, number one, will be district leaders who are actually doing something. Uh, like you and your team there in the Chicagoland area, you will be able to share with our new districts, for example, Tampa Bay, uh, as a result of Sonia's hard work, they came on board as a new district, Martin Luther King Avenue in Tampa. They will be able to look to a Chicago or to an Atlanta 
and see exactly what they're doing to make where they are work. And I can't stress this no more, Ron. Every district leader that's a part of Black Wall Street USA ought to be in their district interacting with the churches, the businesses, the people in those districts on a monthly basis. In other words, the people in those communities ought to be able to know who their Black Wall Street district leader is. What that does is it sets the stage for Black Wall Street New Orleans to show up at the national convention and say, here's our plan. We want to create 30 trailers, and in those trailers are entrepreneurs doing everything from popcorn to selling individual products. We want to set these trailers up in the community. Now, that's, this is their plan, and create an, a, a lightweight incubator for these businesses. They stand there for two years, and they move on and go independently, but the funding will be there to help them create uh, their entrepreneurial spirit and develop it. Well, I want district to So would that mean that models. there will be uh there'll be a template for the districts to follow and building those districts throughout the United States and are you saying that there's funding that will help to make that happen or No, there's funding all over the place, but again you need to have someone who like Cheryl Calvin following the money. And so the, the key here in the in the convention is to make sure district leaders are aware of what other district leaders are doing. That's our problem is the, the great disconnect. We don't know what other things are working around the country, and so we want to shine light on that. That's the, the first thing. The second thing is the development of the Black Wall Street district. And so whatever that requires with regards to team building, each district in the country ought to have their own board of directors, their own bylaws, their own uh, 50C6 uh, certification with the IRS so that they are a merchants association and that they're actually, like Chicago does, you guys meet every week, your own own tap, and you have committees. Uh, and so each district needs to operate that way. The third thing that we'll be doing is setting national committees, and that means we'll be covering everything, for example, contract equity to health, to education, to everything you can imagine, there will be a chairman of that national committee, and the, the committee members will be made up of officers from the various districts around the country. They are to report to the national office on a quarterly basis as to what their findings are and what actually works. Now, I'm not a big person on sitting around listening to suggestions and ideas and recommendations. I, I leave it in the hands of trusted district leaders to come up with solutions. And once those solutions are developed and created, then you bring you pass that along to other district leaders and say, hey, this is working in Chicago. You might want to try it in Columbus, Ohio, where we have another new district. Um, and so those three areas are the areas that we will focus on. Uh, and, and I'm excited about it. We, we secured the uh, Gary Convention, uh, Genesis Convention Center. We're excited about that. Uh, we're excited about your, your new uh, young director there in Gary, Ricky Cease. And so we're we're delighted. Um, but I do want to talk about the upcoming summit there in Chicago. And anybody listening, I encourage you to uh, to make that time sacrifice. Everybody's busy. But this is, uh, this is really uh, imperative that if you are in the spirit already, and you want to see a change in your community or any one of those Black Wall Street districts in Chicago, you need to show up there. And don't just show up to show up to pass a resolution or just to voice your opinion. 
you need to leave there with some a sense of urgency. Because I know Ron Carter and his team is gonna, you know, give out assignments. So you need to go ahead and <clears throat> donate that whatever those few dollars are, show up at the summit and make sure you are participating uh in what's going on. Every district leader in Chicago land area ought to be there. There should be no question. Oh yeah. And, uh, well, let me ask you, know. you on the national level, uh how many districts are there now nationally for the Black Wall Street? Oh god. I, I, I let me see now. Uh well I can go mm-hmm. backwards. Let's see. The, the last one was um New Orleans, uh sister Elois Chandler and uh they're ready to move. Then you have uh oh well we have one in Uganda. Uh the brother reached out to us um I want to say two weeks ago, and it's a very poor area, but uh, they want to do micro-lending and and get the entrepreneurial spirit even going in that that, uh, war-torn country. So they have joined officially to become Black Wall Street, uh, Uganda, and the Lueso State, just northeast of Kampala, the capital of Uganda, where I've been there. Uh, They call it Lake Victoria, but I call it the Sango. Uh, they named it Lake Victoria after the Queen. And then you have Lake, uh, Black Wall Street, Tampa. Uh, young brother Andrew, and Andre Simpson uh, down there in Tampa is moving quickly to get his team uh, together. So, Ron, I, I would want to say right at 30 uh, districts with uh, the Chicago man area, thanks to you, brother, got uh, almost 20. So uh, we're growing, and they're not just jumping on board just for the sake of saying they want a Black Wall Street district, these folks are coming with their initiatives, their plans, their strategies already in PDF form. I mean, they just send it to us and say, this is what we want on our site. Uh, this is what we want to project. Uh, and so I'd say about 30. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, then, with that, uh, the, the, the mandate, uh, what uh, Black Wall Street USA is doing um, and expanding throughout the country, and as we look at the issues, are pretty similar in all the cities. From uh, we just found out here in Chicago that uh, blacks are somewhere maybe about uh, 30. Seven percent of the population was getting three percent of the contracts. Uh, uh, Washington D.C. Uh, they're about seventy-five percent of the po- uh, population. They're getting something like two percent of the uh, contracts. But the even the government contracts is still is a reflection of the uh, the, the the districts and the businesses in these cities as well. Are there any projections on what we can see to turn this economic instability in the black community, even though each district have their own uh, agenda, but can we look at some form of an impact uh, that black Wall Street will contribute to the economic stability throughout the country? Well, and is there you know, a dollar I, I, amount that's a contribute to it, or is it uh, is it measured by the dollars, or is it measured by the districts? How is the success of Black Wall Street USA uh, can be uh, counted for? Well, the the reality is is that uh, outside of the contractor uh, issue and, and parity, 
you know, ninety percent of what black folks spend, they spend outside of their neighborhood. We've got to change that. So that's not a that's not a black Wall Street issue. That's a spiritual. That's a mindset issue. Okay. So is there change, any type of measurement that we can uh, to monitor that success of changing that around? Or is there a a goal or an objective that we can foresee within Black Wall Street USA that we can see that progress actually happening, even to the point if I look at uh, Black Wall Street Chicago having 17 uh, districts, as we try to measure, we can look at the names as we identify the districts, but what is it can we measure based on how many businesses that we have sustained or how many businesses that we can increase to actually meet the the dollar amount of objectives since we are talking about businesses. So yeah. is there a measure stick that we're looking at well, there, from the United yeah, there, States? There's, there's certainly a measuring stick. Our goal is to have three hundred and fifty billion dollars running through the black Wall Street districts uh in the next five years. Well, that's going to okay. take a lot of work. And the first step is is having the district leaders connecting with the people in their district. It's not enough to just say, oh, we got a black Wall Street district if there are no assessments going on. I mean, every three months, there, there has to be some sort of assessment, which means that there has to be a team on the ground, and like we do out here in Oakland. Uh, the only way we were to, to ascertain the level of tax money returning into the community around Black Wall Street was to do an assessment uh, based on public works, the health issues, employment issues, uh, the re- recidivism rate, uh, the sustainability rate of businesses on Black Wall Street. And what we discovered was it wasn't so much that white folks didn't want us to be successful, it was the biggest issue was that we weren't making the effort to be successful. And so okay. there are assessments that there are assessments that you can apply if there's a constant level of communication between if there's a black Wall Street in your community, between the district leaders and their staff and the merchants and the churches and community groups in those districts. But you can't do it remotely. You've got to okay, well, so if we look at this uh, 300 and this goal of $350 billion, you said, within five years? Mm-hmm. Okay, right. let's take, for example, uh, you are familiar with uh, Webb Evans here in Chicago. As they are yeah. measuring their receipts uh, on a monthly basis, on now, given that these are people that meet once a month, and they bring their receipts on how they are spending money with black people, which is a small percentage of their receipts compared to people that do not maintain their receipts. How are how are we going to determine that 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 growth? Is that three hundred and fifty billion dollars based on? trade or based on capital improvement or based on uh, uh, business uh, development or business structures or infrastructure, is it going to be kind of laid out how this $350 billion is going to be identified per certain districts? Or So where does $350 billion come from? 
Well, that that's an estimate of, about based on what African Americans spend over the course of a year, uh, and the aggregate based on the population of the cities that were, that actually have a Black Wall Street district. But again, uh, there is no way in which we can measure anything if there is no connection with the leadership in the various districts around the country and the very people we're asking to spend their money. For example, here in Oakland, we got a Chinatown district. Their revenue stream is $15 billion a year that flows through 12 blocks. Well, the way in which they have several organizations that keep track of the spending, the level of uh, – whenever you see a spike in employment in any given business district or merchant district anywhere in the country – that means that they're, one, they're adding businesses. Two, they're doing some kind of uh, ineffective marketing or, or, or advertising for that district to drive people who don't live in those districts to spend their money there. So what you have is a 12-block, a, a square-block area in downtown Oakland where probably less than 1% of the Chinese live, but the majority of the Chinese in the Bay Area take their money to Chinatown. Now, if we can get African Americans to say, spend your money on 43rd Street, spend your money on North Arcadia, or spend your, in Baton Rouge, or spend your money on Imperial in San Diego, then that starts the process of measuring from first penny all the way to the last penny how successful we are in driving people to spend their money in this particular community. Well, let me ask. Uh, let me ask. Uh, uh, bring Shirley in and try to get a, a an assessment from her as we relating to the money. Because again, as Black Wall Street USA and Black Wall Street Chicago and the rest of the districts around the country is about business and is about money. Uh, Cheryl, how can you measure? The, even not just from the government oversight, as you indicated that there was approximately $100 million that did not reach the black community, and to determine if that $100 million was actually allocated to the black community, is there any type of measurement to indicate how much that money could have been turned around to help the black economy. Wow, that that um that that is uh <laughs> that is uh that's that's that you know what I I did not you just like blew my mind up with that. Um, we spend billions of dollars despite uh, that hundred million. We spend billions of dollars a year uh, coming out of the black community. Uh, the infusion of a uh, hundred million within our uh, businesses and organizations throughout the black community would uh, allow us to be able to stabilize our uh, our own communities and hopefully, uh, in, in, in turn, in t- attract uh, African Americans to spend with themselves. Um, well, so then, if Cheryl, if I can, I, e- even if you look at this hundred million dollars. That were that supposedly been allocated to the black communities in Chicago, but that money was mainly, or maybe for the most part, targeted not just for economics, but targeted for social services. Such no, as, no, 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 uh, no, 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 no. I only follow I follow legislative funding for the purpose of 
increasing and sustaining black businesses. So you're saying and that that $100 million, if I can, let me get this clear. You're saying that $100 million that was targeted that was not received was related to economic development and not social service development? Not social service development, no. It would have been for the purpose of, and I'm including job creation and training. So um, that so, means that there was, pro- it was way more than a hundred million dollars that was not received. That should have been received because social services budget is normally more than economic budget. It absolutely is. I mean, and, and that does not include. I mean, TIFs are legislated from a federal level and then brought down to the city level. So that doesn't include uh, programs that were intended to bring uh, industry into our community. It does not include programs that um, were intended to um, uh, uh, infrastructure programs that were just going to make the community just We have a commercial break real quick. Uh, Michael Carter, excuse me one more. Did you blow this rain here? <laughs> I mean, it is no. raining like crazy here in Chicago. Well, we, it we, is we, hard. We were trying to figure out. Hey, hey, Rob, we were trying to figure out who sent the rain to us. In July in California, it rained all day long. Uh, Sonia, are you looking outside? Yeah, I'm watching what's going on. <laughs> Do y'all see what's going on here? Okay, I'm sorry, Cheryl, but this is, I didn't hear nothing about this coming to Chicago. <laughs> all right, Cheryl, I'm sorry, but ew, this is okay. Ron, you got to get on that one, Doc. Oh. Okay, <laughs> so then our economic, you know, even if we, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm asking Cheryl about this because she's on top of this uh, government oversight with money. I'm surprised to hear that this $100 million was geared toward economic and did not include the social service of, of, of targeted money. And then if we look at this throughout the United States, it's probably – you know, as I indicated earlier, when we was at the Encoba Reparations uh, Convention, uh, I mean, looking at the whole United States, and I mean, it, it, it's the, the same thing that's happening in Illinois, for the most part, maybe in um, uh, the well, state no, of it, California. It is. It, it is now. Now, understand something. Uh, she's just uh, Cheryl is on point, and I want to take it a step further. There is a huge gap between money set aside for social services and economic development. You must understand where we are. We're in a capitalist society, and the capitalists are going to do it, and there's nothing wrong with being a capitalist if you do it right. But they're going to do everything they can to make sure it's compartmentalized. What I mean is what's set aside for you know social services, for SSI and welfare and things of those nature to help those who are not capable of doing better is totally separate from economic development. We need to be at the table, certainly, for both. But when it comes to economic money, $100 million, even for Illinois, is just a drop in the bucket. That's right. When you consider consider these, now just take into account, there are over uh, uh, 80,000 individual uh, community economic development type agencies in this country. Each one of those are tap, trying to tap into some federal money set aside for the purposes of economic development. Now, certainly, right. there are situations where you they try to merge the two. You may have uh, 
economic development, and in the same agency you have uh, urban and housing development or something along mm-hmm. those lines, they try to put the two together. But in the end, when it comes down to a major corporation moving to the area, please believe me when I tell you, whatever economic dollars that they have to help a major corporation move to the area, they're they going to use that money for what? Well, well, if yeah. I can, yeah. give it to them. Even as we look at the summit uh, or the national convention that's coming up in October, and as definitely there's always uh, uh, frustrations of issues that are have to be expressed. It's more like getting our frustration off. But how would the 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 national con- uh, convention of Black Wall Street USA? Give a roadmap as it relates to the, if I can, the government oversight of USA taking into consideration, as Cheryl indicate that we're looking at a hundred million dollars just toward economic development, and looking at it from each district state of that money, and even if we take it all the way to. Uh, the convention that was held here in Chicago, the National Reparations Con- uh, Convention, of asking for reparations now, and if the check was given to us now, we would not have a base of stability to spend that money. How can you just answered you just you just answered your question, Ron. See, let me let me let me say it like this: We got to put this. Black Wall Street is not necessarily a name, and I'm gonna just. Tell everybody again, the name Black Wall Street came from a white fella who was a veteran of World War One. He looked over and saw them Negroes. He said, look at them Negroes over there. They got a Black Wall Street. But it's the spirit of Black Wall Street. See, now, understand this. If those folks in Tulsa, on that 40-square-block area, was in a position to receive $100 million, guess what? They were prepared to receive it. Why? Because they already, had a, of, they had, already had a system of, a system of sustainability. We need to prepare our districts. We need to prepare our district leaders, put them in a position yeah. to receive it. Otherwise, it will continue to fly over. That is our That's biggest right. challenge, Ron. That's if right. Well, we are, if you are, I want to hold, we have a caller no, 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 on the line. Uh, yeah, well, no, no, we have, based on the timing, because we got a, a okay. timing, it's one of your district leaders are on the phone. Okay. Uh, Sonia? Hello. Listen to Black Wall Street USA. Bobby Johnson, welcome. How you doing? Hello there, Hello. Bobby Johnson of uh, right. Black Wall Street of 47th Street, and I think that the Black Wall Street of 47th Street is encompassing the the, the spirit of Brosville, or not just 47th Street. Uh, what's your comment or question or uh, address? Um, with Black Wall Street, 47th Street, and, you know, to our topic tonight. Well, basically, remember, Ron, when you all asked us last fall to put bring, put in our mission statement on uh, what we were doing with our district, and I told you that what we were going to do was to take the 47th and King Drive TIF and make that the district because it was the, at that time I didn't know it was the biggest TIF and the city of Chicago for communities, and it had the most money. Okay, mm-hmm. but now what we How much money? Is, when you say it has the most uh, money, how much money does it have? Well, what happened was the former alderman, Dorothy Tillman, she left something like, 
I guess between twenty six and thirty million dollars in it. Okay. And 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 the money is being used. Who's stepping on a straw? Not me. I don't know if y'all can hear me. Okay, can you? Not me. (laughs) Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. So what happens is the money is being used for business development, a commercial area improvement, schools, and all that. But bringing the, coming along the line of what you all were saying, Jack Kemp back in the 70s created... Well, let me, again, Bobby, excuse me for a moment. Now, you said that there was approximately $30 million that is earmarked for the, in in the area that's called 47th Street, Black Wall Street District. Are you saying it's in additional to the money that was spilled over from the former Alderman Tillman, that there is well, additional the money, money on top of that? The money accrues every year based on the taxes that come to right. the area. So you have a number? I don't have a number, but I want to finish what I'm saying. You're getting ready to go off. Okay. Mm-hmm. What I'm basically saying when the sister was talking about the $100 million that she was tracking, uh, when Jack Kemp created the empowerment, the uh, enterprise zone back in the 70s and 80s, uh, Ron Brown, the Secretary of, um, what was he, Secretary of? Um, Commerce. Commerce. Right, right, right. He created the uh, Empowerment Zone under the performance, National Performance right. View by by uh, President Clinton. What was supposed that they put all these tools in place. Right. Well, let me, uh, Bobby, let me see. I, I, I know you are a historian and you are no, definitely in, in time. But I, see, we're running against I, the clock right now. I wrote, we're the running against... I wrote the waiver for how to take human service and move it to business development. I am okay. one of the nurses that wrote the waiver. What so happened are you going to be presenting a... No, 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 no. Wait a minute. Our leadership pulled us out. Okay, they did, admit they did not train the residents. They displaced residents, and now they got new gentry black people um, getting opportunities off of popo. Okay, so what has to happen is we have to go back to the drawing ball. Yes, I will give you a summary of how that impacts us in Chicago at the press hall meeting that you're going to have next week. But what I basically was supposed to call you and let you know that the place that's like Wall Street District is sponsoring the National Convention in uh, Gary, Indiana in October. That's what I was supposed to say to you tonight and let you know that we are uh, have got the Nationals back and we're going to pay the bills. Because very good, very good. Because, because we, right. are, well, it, we are the cradle, 47 Black Wall Street is the cradle of black America. And if we can't do it, nobody else can. So that's well, as we head up at the end, uh, we, we're going coming at the end uh, of this program, and naturally uh, the, the information that you all are sharing is very intense. And, Bobby, we definitely got to get you back on because I know that you are a historian in your own right based on following the money as well and as it relates to the gentrification of the community. So, uh, um, uh, Reverend Carter, as we, yes. can you give any bullet points 
on what will happen in your closing remarks at uh, the uh, National Convention. Well, I first want to encourage everybody uh, who has not registered to register. We have, um, thanks to Bobby and her crew, they've registered 100 and I believe four people so far. So we got 155 registrations, but the majority of the, of the other ones are from around the country, which we are pleased about. So I encourage you to go to the site and register, get your name on the roll, become a member, and also support this show. Support the Chicago Black Business Network. Uh, Sonia Perdue is doing a phenomenal job. I'm hearing about it from everywhere, and uh, there are people who want an Atlanta Black Business Network and a Detroit Black Business, so it's a positive thing. Uh, the convention is, is going to be an experience. Uh, it's going to be more of a history lesson because I do believe that if we're going to move forward, we need to know the history of Tulsa. Every district leader should be able to know at least five business owners who existed on Black Wall Street Tulsa. You need to know how they, they were successful. And I'm going to say this again. I always say it. What we're doing is not for us. We're doing this for people we never met, mm-hmm. and we're okay. doing it for people that we'll, we'll never meet. So go to okay, blackwallstreetdistrict.com, so go there right now, and register for the convention. Go on the Facebook and uh, RSVP and get involved. Okay. And go to All the right. make sure so you we get will to be looking for, We'll be looking for a uh, an agenda of the uh, convention. Uh, how soon you think that would be um, uh, submitted to the public? September 1st will be when we will release the uh, agenda for the convention. By that time, we will have all the, the panelists. And I do want to say to Bobby Johnson and to uh, Ricky Cease and to uh, your other appointed chairman, Ron, uh, General Parker, thank you. Thank you, Black Wall Street 47, for uh, stepping up to the plate. Uh, and I want to thank – in fact, I just want to thank Chicagoland area, period, for maintaining your course and continuing the fight. And remember, this is not done in the flesh. This is done in the spirit. Well, I want to thank you uh, all, uh, our national chair, our first uh, vice chair, uh, Cheryl Calvin, uh, the chair of 47th Street, and all the listeners. And I think I gave Sonia some time. Yeah, you caught me off guard. You listen to Black Wall Street USA <laughs> with Ron Carter, Chairman. <laughs> gave me too much, Chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago. Uh, we were visited this evening by Ms. Bobby Johnson, 47th Street uh, Chair here in Chicago, National President Michael Carter, Vice Chair of Chicago's Black uh, Black Wall Street Chicago, uh, Michelle Kevin, who was digging deep into that government oversight. Uh, we're going to... No, I guess maybe you need just a whole show. We got to, because we got to keep that going. We got to get that information out to them. Uh, I really appreciate each and every one of you taking the time for everything it is that you do. And it's the reason that Ron and I do this so that we can share this information. It, it, it doesn't matter if it's 50 people, 500 people. Uh, on the weekends, there's a couple of thousand people. So we're excited about all of you being a part of what we do. Every time we put this information out, somebody gets it. Somebody gets it. Somebody gets it. We look forward to having you uh, next week, Saturday, July the 9th. Bobby Johnson, are you going to show up for real? Miss Bobby Johnson, I want to see you next Saturday with your report. 
uh, from the 47th Street District, and they do need a little history, Bobby. They need a lot of history. They need a lot of reminders. We want to see you next Saturday. Uh, the 16th Black Wall Street Summit is next Saturday at Prince Hall Masonic Temple here in Chicago at 809 East 43rd Place. There is a full agenda. We went over today. Unfortunately, we don't have uh, the time to share with you tonight, but we will go through the agenda with you uh, next Thursday at the same time. We're here every Thursday evening from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. You can listen to our shows every week in our archives at Black Wall Street District. Dot com And we understand that other people are picking them up and then they're telling me who from iTunes and playing it around the country. We do appreciate that. I don't have a problem with that. The uh, the more that listens, the better. The more information we get out, we know we're doing, we're doing our duty. You can also listen to a rebroadcast of this show on WJPC Chicago every Saturday morning from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. We appreciate the station manager over there, Antonio Chappelle, for all of his support to Black Wall Street. As a matter of fact, he is a supporter of the upcoming summit, and we're going to have some surprises for you there, so you should... You should come over and be a part of us. So, Rod, I took up all of my time. You got some final words, Chairman? Well, the final words is I definitely want to, I uh, think I hit a nerve my, my own self, we're following the money, that we need to definitely look at how we're going to redirect our money, not only internally, but externally to support sustaining and increasing black businesses. So uh, that has been a, a model that was put on Black Wall Street maybe about a year and a half ago by one of our members, OB Word Law, is to follow the money. And so we're, uh, and I was surprised based on uh, Cheryl Calvin making the remarks that that $100 million was toward economic development that did not touch the black community. And I'm pretty sure that that is a reflection of the United States. So we definitely want to look at following that money when we're talking about business. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us on Black Wall Street USA. We'll be right back here next Thursday at 7 p.m. Everyone have a good evening. Good night. Good night, all.